Welcome home. This is Audio EXP for the 26th of June 2021. The title of this episode is Has TSR Games Ruined the TSR Name? The world's oldest RPG publisher is in the process of being sold and the new owners who remain mysterious and unknown will take some of the old products off the electronic shop shelves at DriveThruRPG. I'm talking about Flying Buffalo, who publishes Tunnels and Trolls. And I imagine the last two weeks have been a bit weird for Flying Buffalo, as they broke the news and may not have seen the reactions they were expecting. In part, there's been very little said, and that's because maybe the deal isn't done. It's also because the hobby community has been shouting about other things. One of which was Kent and Andre, who created Tunnels and Trolls, and his mishandling of a situation on Twitter. He apparently seemed to fail his Do You Oppose Nazis wisdom check, but he has since apologised. However, that's just a taster of things to come. It's also worth calling out that whoever is buying Flying Buffalo is, I'm told, serious about pulling some of the old games but there are two deals on the bundle of holding from which you can get a big chunk of the library at a discount. It's live for about three more weeks. Now, TSR Games announced their return this week, and that should be big news, because that's the name of the company formed to bring Dungeons & Dragons to the world. The problem was that it had returned before, and it had not gone away. It was further complicated by just plain weird comms behaviour from this new TSR Games, who made no such announcement on their own social media. There's also the involvement of one E. Gary Gygax Jr., who later turns out to be Ernie G. Gygax Jr., who changed the emphasis on his name, one supposes, to remind readers of the connection between TSR and Gary Gygax, the co-creator of D&D. As I call them, TSR Games 3 also said a much delayed Kickstarter project called Giant Lands was now a TSR Games game. And from there, we even get to plans to build a theme park. But we're only at the start of this journey into chaos. I think this is the correct order. As gamers tried to work out what was going on with TSR Games 3, the company then announced a reboot of Star Frontiers and showed a D&D branded cover of the original Star Frontiers Alpha Dawn. Even as I wrote up the news, I had to note the risk of showing a D&D branded book in a post saying you were creating it. The context wasn't clear. It might well be the case that Hasbro's lawyers detect a tremor in the force. We later find out that TSR Games 3 has the rights to the Star Frontiers name as they do the name of TSR Games. But this will be an entirely new Star Frontiers and not a D&D game. Stick with me. Remember how TSR Games were saying that Giant Lands was their game? Well, James M. Ward is making Giant Lands. It is his game, with other old veterans from the industry, including Ernie Gygax, involved with it. James M. Ward then tells his Facebook audiences that he's never heard of this new TSR games. He doesn't even see how anyone can pick up from where the old TSR left off. And meanwhile, 
Ernie Gygax using the E. Gary Gygax Jr. version of his name does a YouTube interview that seems to dispute concepts like gender identity and say that the new TSR games will be for anti-modern gamers who feel left out. Now, gender identity is a weird thing to dispute. Do you feel like a man? Is that the gender you think you have? That's gender identity. It's a sense of self. If your answer is no, then you still have a gender identity. The only case in which gender identity isn't a thing is if your gender is assigned to you by someone else, which takes us into that trans rights issue, an increasingly important battle across the so-called civilised world. And the anti-modern comments are awkward too. D&D was new. It was anti-modern at the time. Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax didn't say, hey, this is how it was when we were kids, let's keep it that way. And they didn't say, I'm nostalgic for how things used to be, let's revisit that. They did the opposite and did something new. But yeah, some gamers feel nostalgic and want to play games that bring back those memories. That's cool. It's brilliant that they can. The OSR community is strong. It doesn't stop role-playing games carrying on the path of evolution started by Gary Gygax and Dave Ironson back in the 70s. You are not a gatekeeper if you like OSR. You are not cancelling anyone if you spend the weekend playing a retro clone. Now, I'm talking about cancel culture and gatekeepering because, sadly, that's where this story takes us. So let's get back to TSR games. By now, James M. Ward has remembered who the new TSR games are, or one of his so-called friends have finally been kind enough to tell them that they've started a company without him. He confirms that Giant Lands is involved. On the YouTube video, Ernie Gygax says that Giant Lands is a licensee. So we discover that TSR Games 2, who published Top Secret and who tried to publish the Gygax magazine until it hit legal challenges, is still going. All that happened is that TSR Games' trademark owner, Jason Elliott, let it lapse. And Ernie Gygax swooped in and bought it up. However, he will let Elliott and TSR Games 2 continue by charging them a token fee. Though he could have simply warned Jason Elliott of the lapsing trademark as the honourable thing, he presents that fee as a kindness. I wonder whether entering into a commercial relationship on the value of the TSR Games brand will be a decision with repercussions later. The reaction to the interview was as you'd expect. It divided people into loyalists and those alarmed, disappointed and horrified. Protests began on Twitter. People want to see Giant Lands distance themselves from TSR Games if TSR Games 3 fail to clarify and, and articulate an, a trans rights position. TSR Games 3 on Twitter fights back, getting angry and defensive. A low point is when TSR Games tweets, if you don't like Gary Gygax, you probably shouldn't play D&D. If you're reading the transcript of this on the Geek Native blog, I've embedded that tweet. That is gatekeepering. You can play D&D if you like. It's not conditional on you liking anyone or doing what TSR Games 3 says. Loyalists defend TSR Games 3 by claiming that they are victims of cancel culture. Of course, they're not. They're not cancelled at all. They have plenty of platforms to share their views on. And that's what's adding to the heat in this debate. 
they are being amplified and not cancelled. Then, last night, Luke Gygax, who is heavily involved in the tabletop RBG community, and Gary Conn, which he runs, make it clear they are not involved with TRSR Games 3. No one in the Gygax family is involved with TSR Games 3, except Ernie. TSR Games 3 tweets back to accuse Lou Gygax of making things up and says he was never part of TSR. Although there's probably more fuel being thrown into the fire even as I write the script that brings us up to date. This podcast is built as a highlight show. I pick the stories from Geek Native that interested readers and me the most and I talk about them. It's a chance for me to be more opinionated than otherwise. While Geek Native is a blog and not a newspaper subject to more personal interpretation, this whole TSR Games 3 drama has been awkward and uncomfortable. Increasingly, it feels like we've been all been forced to watch a family fight. I've tried to make blog post coverage as much, you know, this is what happens as possible, resisting the urge to get too deep into the rabbit hole of opinion, because I imagine most readers want to be brought up to speed first, but it's been hard, and I'm thankful to have this chance at the weekend to editorialise a bit more. I also wonder what Jason Elliott and TSR Games 2 are thinking. Are they pals with Ernie Gygax? Are they still friends after he snatched TSR Games' trademark back? Elliot has a company, albeit one that Ernie Gygax implies is struggling, that rests on the name recognition of TSR Games. Thanks to the events of this week, thanks to Ernie Gygax's YouTube interview and TSR Games 3 on Twitter, that perception of TSR Games has undoubtedly changed significantly. And you might well ask, has it been ruined? Will Giantlands divorce themselves from TSR Games 3? And will TSR Games 3 be welcome in conventions? I don't think we'll be seeing them at GaryCon. And this week, you may have seen some gaming companies like Level Up Dice announce they will not be attending any more Supernova-hosted events. What happened there happened in Australia, and it centres around a vendor at the convention selling fascist merchandise. Rather than oppose Nazis, as Ken St. Andre reassures us he would do without prompting, this convention lets someone sell openly fascist flags and other material. Supernova has said they've investigated and eased security to remove their vendor from the convention. In other words, the convention organisers reacted in real time and threw the fascists out. But for some, it's too little too late. I'm sure the convention scene is struggling around the world and desperate for business. I saw UK Games Expo ads, for example, for Coiled Spring Games. But all this comes with a risk. People don't want to associate with hate. They don't want to support it with their cash. It's not cancel culture to decide where and how to spend your money. As it happens, before all this broke out, Geek Native had written up an actual example of cancel culture from the tabletop games industry. It's widely known that Charles Darrow invented Monopoly with the Parker Brothers doing a great job at selling it. It's less well known that this makes Charles Darrow the first game designer to become a millionaire. That's widely believed, but it's wrong. A woman called Lizzie Maggie actually invented Monopoly. Darrow bought some of the rights, tweaked the rules and took it from there. 
as Imaki's involvement has been cancelled. Hasbro, who own D&D and Monopoly, don't yet seem to have recognised this. And no doubt, the complication there was that the original idea for Monopoly was to play two rule sets and compare the outcome. The game we know today is the capitalist version, which results in one winner and everyone else bankrupt. The other version was socialist. I wonder how that one ends. I think Hasbro should, at least, recognise Lizzie Maggie. I started this week fresh on the fallout from Wizards of the Coast, a Hasbro company, and their poorly worded survey with D&D fans. We now believe that the company is considering a subscription model and what might even be a virtual tabletop for D&D. Long-time listeners will know that I've often lingered on that crucial link between virtual tabletops, marketplaces, and a subscription service healthy income. So, I set up an unofficial survey. As of today, 219 people have taken part. I wanted to see if people thought an official D&D virtual tabletop was a good idea. I wanted to see if they would pay for a subscription service. I thought about whether the D&D books would come with that, or whether people would pay the D&D VTT marketplace new money to buy D&D rule sets that integrated with the virtual tabletop. Once you've taken part in the survey, you can see the results, but I will loop back to it from time to time for further write-ups, and I will keep the survey open. Now, I figured that some people might think they've already paid to have D&D played virtually, because they've bought downloads from D&D Beyond. I put the multiple choice question, who owns D&D Beyond, in the survey. As of today, most people can't answer it. Yes, I know talking about it will buy us a survey, but it's certainly food for thought, isn't it? It certainly highlights the value in keeping control of your own brand and what you can achieve if you use it to empower innovation. Sadly, this week there's an example of what can happen when it goes wrong. Nightfall Games are currently, I imagine, busy with their Terminator franchise. Many know the British publisher for Slay Industries, though. That RPG is fine, but the spin-off skirmish game, Cannibal Sector, is being scrapped. It's been a rough ride. The Kickstarter for the game was created by Dharma Productions with Nightfall's Blessings and even picked up a Project Wheel of Badge, but things went downhill fast. When it became clear that Dharma couldn't deliver on their promises, Nightfall stepped in and did it for them. I think this is very impressive. I wish all brand owners did that. However, I suspect the damage was done, and now so few people play Cannibal Sector that Nightfall can't keep it going. And what a shame. But let's move back to the lure of subscription models and find a more hopeful example of what the future of tabletop play might look like. Games Workshop told us the pricing of their subscription service, Warhammer Plus, which weighs in at about £5 a month or $6, with a discount for year-long membership. But what is it? Well, it's more Netflix than anything else. You do get two free Citadel miniatures a year while you're a member, but the bulk of Warhammer Plus lives on your digital screens. Angels of Death and Hammer and Bolter do animated shows will stream to subscribers with 10 or so more shows to be announced. Subscribers also get access to live shows about lore, painting and the hobby. It all sounds very new, doesn't it? But I'm excited and disappointed in equal measure. I'm excited by the potential, but I don't have either the money 
or the space to do Warhammer Wargames. I had hoped to watch the new Warhammer shows, perhaps as a way to rekindle my interest. But disappointed now that they seem out to be out of reach. At the very least, it is an example of how old and new can coexist. Old Wargamers with this new digital hybrid. Of course, even in the OSR tabletop role-playing scene, old and new can coexist by chance of timing in an interview that was done in May and saved up until this week ahead of Kickstarter launch for Chromatic Dungeons. I talked to Rod Wable about just that. You see, Chromatic Dungeons is a retro clone that does its hardest to be modern. In a brief interview, we tackle questions like, what is OSR? That's one I find hard to answer, as it seems to mean different things to different people. I got into so much trouble once for suggesting it's a bit of a straw man or a scarecrow, in that it really distorts perceptions about what other RPGs are, attacks them, and defines itself as not that. Despite the heat I got, I think I may be right. We also talk about representation in the artwork, we talk about the OSR community. We did this months ago, so I hope that the timing favours Rod and the game, and I hope I have not helped launch the project into an inferno. The launch alert page for the project is live. If you don't know Kickstarter well, the alert page is a project before it launches. Notably, the URL does not change. So you can bookmark the alert page and then go back to the same page to interact with the campaign when it launches. And there's a button to press if you want to make sure you get an email alert for when it does. It's a reminder that I should make sure I define words or avoid jargon wherever possible. In this week's Genres Police, Ben talks about a shared language for RPG terms. Why? Well, his group had different meanings for West Marches style games. Do you know what it means? As it turns out, Ben ran a survey and found that people had different ideas, even of what a hex crawl was, and of terms like railroad and homebrew. I had no idea of what was meant by West Marchers, so what I learnt from this genre police. Another example of the community appreciating a bit more support on a gaming topic comes from Kickstarter, a project from Aventier Games, The Wanderer's Guide to Merchant and Magic. All this 5e supplement offers are price lists for magic gear and D&D, rules for trading and shopping. Sounds basic, right? The campaign only asks for €2,500. It's about to close. There are a few days left to take part. It's currently at about €75,000 in pledges. It turns out that loads of people could do with more rules around buying and selling loot in D&D 5e. I also have an example of what happens when a publisher listens to feedback from the community. I reviewed Cubicle 7's Death on the Reich Companion. Death on the Reich is one part of a multi-part campaign for the fantasy RPG. Each book is already a separate purchase. The campaign already famous from its initial success 30 years ago and here are C7 selling extra books as companion pieces. Are they milking it? No, not at all. You don't need the companion to run the adventure. You might want it though. Importantly, I think the companion has a broader general purpose. Even games outside Warhammer with its list of herbs or advice for river travel. And now, we're pushing really against the idea of this being a short, snackable podcast, but I think there might be time to highlight some bundle deals and one competition. Itch have launched their summer tabletop select bundle, which offers six good RPGs for 12 bucks. We've already mentioned the Tunnels and Trolls deal at the bundle of holding. 
which leaves us humble bundle this week to mention. You can find a lot of Van Helsing digital comics from Zenoscope this week. Lastly, news for listeners in the UK, as that's where I can ship this prize to. A copy of the board game Big Dig is up for grabs. It's a game where you get to scribble on a wipe clean board and play reverse Tetris as you dig out squares to get to shapes. And on that note, let's wrap there. Keep safe, treat vampires with caution, and we'll see you next week.